0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today is a very special episode. I'm super excited to welcome on both Dr. Kelly and Juliette Starrett to the podcast. Today we're discussing their journey to the ready state as you know it today. So we discuss everything from how the two met to how the two started in business together and pretty much every step along the way, including Mobility Wad, The Supple Leopard Book, and so much more. This episode is jam-packed with all kinds of great humor, insight, knowledge, wisdom, and everything that you need to take your own motivation and ambition to go after those things that you want to pursue in life and just get jump-started on pursuing your goals and dreams and ambitions. Before we get to this episode, though, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Kelly Juliette, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you both on today.
1: Thank you so much for having us. We are excited to chat you up.
0: Oh, man, we're going to get into all the stories. <laughs> so, <many> stories. <laughs> so I know you two started with Mobility Wad a number of years ago, but could you walk us through the journey a little bit of how the two of you started your business together and where this whole thing began? Let me take
2: a swing at this and just say that it didn't start the Mobility Wad. Uh, it started even earlier than that. Um, the the Mobility Wad putting out content around care was actually like our third or fourth iteration of things that we'd worked on. Juliet was a. Um, An attorney or about to go to law school and I met her in Chile in 2000 and I was a kayak rep and I moved to San Francisco and we were broke and sort of thinking I needed to go to PT school and Juliet wanted to be a lawyer. I knew that that was her route and somewhere in there when Juliet was a practicing attorney in 2004 and I was a first year doc student in physical therapy, we discovered CrossFit online and we had been training together riding our bikes, racing, kayaking, surfing, paddling. And what we discovered was this really felt like subversive and really dynamic fun way to train for all our adventures. And so in 2005, we actually opened San Francisco CrossFit which is the 21st CrossFit gym in the world. We, between Juliet's lawyer uh, salary which is what she was using to support us and some student loans, we started a gym during grad school, we had a newborn baby, we had a one-year-old and uh, and I was in grad school and Juliet was a first year uh, attorney. And we were like, you know what we should do? Let's open a gym. So we opened a gym and ran that in all our excessive free time. <laughs> and I'll take us, we started teaching a course around how to take care of your body in 2008, 2009 to athletes and gyms. And literally we just, we started to put it out there and started to get some traction. And that led us to really starting the mobility project, which was our first shot at, at social media content besides our blog for our gym. And that was even before mobility was.
1: Well, and if I would, could just interject with a little bit of color commentary here um, to say that I think it was, we'd owned the gym for a couple of years. Let's just say it's been so long ago now, I can't get the timeline exactly right, but it's some, Kelly actually did graduate from PT school and while we owned the gym he went and worked at a more traditional physical therapy clinic so you know I was working full full-time as a lawyer Kelly was working full-time as a physical therapist and we were running the gym on the side
2: we had three we had um, three jobs three full-time three jobs.
1: jobs in fact in those early days it was funny Kelly, I, I was I've always been like the person who ran the business side of the businesses and then when we would have the gym, you know, Kelly would work a full day and we would have like a 6 a.m. class, a 6 p.m. class, and then weekend classes. And Kelly coached all the classes at the beginning um, because we didn't have any coaches. So uh, that's kind of how we started. But um, he he eventually left his physical therapy practice and brought it in-house underneath the San Francisco CrossFit umbrella. Um, and he started just a cash-based physical therapy practice in a container that was lovingly called the pain cave. Um <laughs> and so he would see patients all day and coach classes, you know, in between. And so it was kind of I, I think we were really one of the first people who did this kind of hybrid like let's put a physical therapy clinic inside a gym. I mean now you know
2: where it's, it's not discreet. It's the yeah, same thing. It's
1: it's the same thing. So it's like you're you know, yes. Kelly was doing some manual therapy, like what you think of as physical therapy, like on a table, on people, but then he was also bringing people out, uh, you know, onto the gym floor and squatting and pressing and, you know, doing actual movement with them.
2: That was really the birth we think of, you know, there was a need for this change in the paradigm, but that was really the birth of performance therapy, where you couldn't tell if it was strength conditioning and environmental coaching, or if this was, sort of progressive performance-based manual therapy to achieve a different position. It wasn't what we thought or what people traditionally thought of physical therapy. And it certainly, we just decided to opt out of this cash model or I mean, like of the, the insurance one model. One more
1: thing, you know, we're obviously you know, long-winded here, but one more thing, and this is the story I originally wanted to tell, which I think will sort of answer your original question about how we started Mobility wad, and that is kind of a story. Kelly used to come home at the end of the day and play this game called, like, guess the patient's problem with me. And keep in mind at this point, you know, I'm a gym owner, but I'm, I'm primarily primarily at this point a lawyer. But he's like, guess the injury. And then he would sort of describe what someone could or couldn't do. And I was like, oh, their hamstrings are stiff. Or, oh, they need to, you know, like, roll out their quads. or And, and so it was kind of this, like, little joke we'd have, like, a dinner table conversation Um, But but what that really meant is that and I think what Kelly saw is he's starting to see like the same like 15 things over and over again in his patients. Um, And what he really saw was in most cases, obviously, some of his patients would come in with like a real injury as in a catastrophe, like, you know, they, you know, torn their Achilles or something major like that. But he's the vast majority of people he was seeing in his physical therapy clinic were people with just sort of like what I describe as kind of like sort of nagging pain and injury um, that he was of the mind they could fix on their own if they just kind of understood how to move and had some simple tools to fix their bodies. So this was kind of his like early hypothesis of like, okay, these people are taking two or three hours off of work, driving across the city, parking, paying me in cash, to see them for an hour driving back to work like this is a big thing they're doing it's expensive it's taking a lot of time out and they just need interrotation um, the shoulder they, and or they literally hip extension just need to like stretch their gloves or something I mean it really was Kelly was seeing he's like hey we, we've like medicalized a bunch of things that just are things people should be working on on their living room floor while they're watching TV at night so so really if I could go back to like the true birth of mobility Wild, I think that was it was seeing that like, this was pretty, you know, kind of early internet, there wasn't as much information. The average consumer is much more sophisticated today about their body than they were then. But still, there's a lot of lack of knowledge and understanding. And, you know, people don't realize that there are tools. Um, but man, it was like the dark ages back then. So I think that was a really long way around answering your question. I think that was the problem we were trying to solve in is what It was what birthed mobility was.
0: I love that long-winded answer, though. And I'm still just trying to mentally picture the two of you balancing four jobs between lawyer, physical therapist, CrossFit coaches, and CEOs, and full-time parents. I cannot imagine trying to balance all of that, let alone- let me, you know,
2: one of the things that would happen early on was that you know, we started to write a book in 2010, too. (laughs) And I remember Juliet's mom being like, hey, what are you going to give up? Give up your friends, you're going to give up vacations, you're going to give up free time. And one of the things that happened, there were times in our life where we invented this thing called the 10, 10, 10 at 10, which was, you know, 10 push-ups, 10 kettlebell swings, 10 pull-ups, 10 air squats at 10 p.m. for 10 minutes. And that was literally what my training looked like some days because, you know, it was a mad dash, you know, The difference is instead of quiet quitting and just doing the minimum, Juliet and I felt like we had the secret sauce that we could create a community and lives for ourselves. And we were willing to burn it all to the ground in service of creating a life that we wanted to imagine for ourselves. You know, and I think that's really the difference is that when people have motivation and a vision for what they want for themselves and their families, people go to the ends of the earth to make that happen. And it's really difficult to do that for someone else's
0: vision. So it sounds like the two of you were getting a ton of sleep at that point in your life too? Or... <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that was, a, it was kind of like a low sleep period or, or at least like a poor quality sleep period too. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of, you know, 4.45 a.m. wake-up calls either because of kids or coaching or, yeah, you, you know, you name it. You I mean, cut us in
2: half like trees and count the rings. You know, we it'll be a skinny ring. Like yeah, there's, there's a forest fire. We,
1: um, you know, we talk a lot these days about sleep because we're obsessed with it always happen. Um, even when we weren't able to get any, you know, we knew, um, but we basically tell people, we're like, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of sleep recommendations out there, but like, if you've got a kid under the age of two, like, give yourself a free pass, man. Like, you know, it's not like you control. have little kids, but like, I-, I do feel like there's going to be this period of your life when you have little kids, you know, under two, under three, where your sleep is going to be really disrupted. And you just have to sort of accept that, like, that's, this is going to be a passing phase and humans seem to have, you know, survived past that for the millennia. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the time when you like to give yourself a break and maybe, you know, don't worry about tracking your sleep and making sure your heart rate variability is perfect and, you know, like getting the right number. You kind of, you get a little free pass in there when you have little kids. And
2: that really gave us, I think, a lot of perspective about, you know, here we are, end up working in very, very high performance environments across all professional sports, the Olympics and branches of elite military and, you know, Fortune 500 companies and, we see everyone who's like the best of the best and how they're doing the best of the best and those people often exist in these little microcosm bubbles where you know you can't tell a working mom with two kids to like write in a gratitude journal and meditate in the morning and you know optimize and like you know, so we've and i think that time was really important for us because we became really actual realists about how does this fit in in a meaningful and sustainable way you know there was a time where I think I did a blood panel and um, I had to report how much coffee I was drinking and so I circled one of the levels and it said I got on the phone with a person kind of talking about my blood panel and she said oh it says here you have one to two cups of coffee a day and I was like there's no hyphen and she was like what you have 12 cups of coffee a day and I was like yeah that's three 20 ounce americanos like from Starbucks that's not that crazy you shouldn't see my crazy friends but that was how I was keeping myself along and I think the flip side of us understanding the realities of trying to manage and control what could control was the idea also that we understood you cannot do it forever and so that there are these moments and times in your life where you know you don't have to not sleep and then eat all the sugar and do all the alcohol drink all the alcohol and be a stress case, you may need to say, well, hey, in this time where I'm not sleeping at all, I'm gonna control the sleep the best I can and I'm not gonna do anything else to disrupt that sleep, like do a bunch of drinking for self-soothing. I'm gonna have to find another way to make myself feel better so I can, you know, black out.
0: Right, right. And you mentioned before you're able to find a way to fit those healthier lifestyle habits like the exercise into your crazy schedule and it sounds like all these chaotic moments in your early career and getting set up have really molded and shaped what the ready state is known for today is taking these essential things that should be part of everyone's daily life and everyone's health practices and finding a unique way to make it work for them given their schedule and their current life situation.
1: Yeah I think you're right I mean I think one of the things that you know we we are really obsessed with is accessibility um, for everybody. And and I think one of the challenges that, that we have in the fitness business, and I'm not sure it's actually true, but it appears to be true on the internet. And that is that a lot of people in the health and fitness business, like at least Instagram makes it look like, man, they have time to meal prep and do three hours of workout and ice bath and sauna and get some body work done. And And, you know, I think the average person sees that and they're like, okay, yeah, of course they can do all that. Like, that's what they do during their day. But like, hey, I'm in front of my computer eight to 10 hours a day and maybe commuting and making dinner for my kids and getting them off to school. Like, you know, most people have these very small windows of time to get some things done. Um, And I think, you know, we've been focused on saying you know, like, like Kelly's been saying for years since the birth of mobility walk like, man, 10 minutes a day. Like you can actually really get some input into your body in just 10 minutes a day. Um, and so that's a big value for us. I mean, I think we wanna acknowledge that people don't need, you know, they don't need to be told that they need to add on some practice that cuts into their sleep and cuts into their family time. And, 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 or is totally not doable because it just takes so much time.
0: Right, right. Well, all of these things are stressors on your daily life, right? And I think if anyone knows what a stressor is, it would probably be the two of you based on what you explained that early life was like. And, if and, you-
2: and he, let me just add that I would take that those early, they were simple. It wasn't complex. Now we have two teenage daughters in high school <laughs> and, and employees. And, you know, there's a time where, the ready state became two businesses and, you know, we had the gym and ready state we were running, you know, Juliet was the CEO of two corporations. You know, what, what I'll say is it felt like a lot then, and it was, but the idea was that we learned actually how to negotiate tricky C's. We, we learned how to stay connected. We learned how to play. We learned how to take our moments and we've actually been able to add a degree of difficulty. So while maybe the, the volume of the fire hose is down, the the degree of difficulty of the things we're doing is much, much higher. And that's really what we're trying to do is say, Hey, look, you've got to learn how to manage these times because you're going to be stressed. Bad things are going to happen. Deadlines are going to come up. How are you coping with that? You know, smooth seas don't make great sailors. And, you know, it, we always say, you know, it's really easy to be, uh, you know, Uh, really good at your job, can you be good at your job when you are a parent, you know, when you have another additional stressor in there, it's really easy to win a world championship when you're a superstar young kid, go ahead and get married or have a job or get injured. And let's see how well you can negotiate all those things. So ultimately, we want wherever you are, it feels just as hard as where everyone else is. It's not, you know, everyone's relative misery and relative suffering is the thing. But if you can come out intact with better processes, then you'll be able to handle more stress and more degrees of difficulty. I think if we dropped into our lives now, as young people, we would just perish,
0: you know? (laughs) What what do you think is it that would get you now? Was it the college tours across the country for uh, your one daughter there? Or is it the business overload? Or is it something that comes with that success and kind of being in the spotlight 24-7, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I,
1: I don't know what would get us. I mean, we've definitely had some, like, serious stressors over the years. And, you know, I, I, I do, I have to echo what Kelly said. I mean, you know, little kids and toddlers are so hard because you never sleep, but they also are very simple. Like, there's a real simplicity to having little kids compared to having teenagers where, you know, these days I feel like I'm their executive assistant because their schedules are insane and they have to have, like, their own Google calendar. Or, you know, so that's a whole other side thing um but you know we just i I think that we're kind of we just try to keep these basic fundamental practices in our lives um you know we try to eat some vegetables we really focus on our sleep we try to sit down and interact with our kids at dinner um we're pretty religious about exercising so i think you know We don't, you know, we certainly have times where we're deep stressed, but we, I think we just always go back to the basics in those times where we just try to say, okay, like I think, I don't know whether Kelly coined this term, but we've been seeing it for years, but, um, you know, we're not trying to be heroic most of the time, you know, we're not, we are just trying to be basically consistent and keep the, check the boxes on the fundamental health habits. Um, Because we found that when life stresses do come our way, if we're just focused on the fundamentals, um, we can manage it from an emotional standpoint and physical standpoint. Um, And so, you know, that's sort of our way of trying to sort of head that off at the past is just sort of assume that we're going to have a lot of stresses in our lives like everybody else. Um, And when those deep stress moments come, you know, we were sort of set up with this really simple doable list of basics that kind of keep our mental, emotional, physical health in order.
2: One of our friends uh, we met, his name's Alan Lim, he's the founder of Scratch Labs and he is a incredible Tour de France, elite cycling performance coach. Um, And he has a great saying, he's like, you cannot cheat your physiology. And I think one of the things that happens when we are in our teens and twenties is that you have immense tolerance an immense capacity to buffer a whole lot of bad behaviors for a really long time. The body is quite tolerant and quite resistant. You can throw cigarettes and little chocolate donuts and vodka and poor sleep and all nighters and binging. That's fun. I mean, that is, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think if you asked Julian and I, would we want to go back and be, you know, 17 or 19 again? I think we'd be like, nah. But Good. I would like to be able to treat my body like I did when. When I was nineteen, like just I could do whatever I wanted and be re- like I'd cut off an arm and the next morning it would regenerate it. So, you know, simultaneously, the problem is that we think that the way we're going to do things is the way we is optimal or not even optimal, but that we can get away with that forever. And what we find is that a lot of people end up in the mid forties and all of a sudden they I'm gonna sneeze. They all of a sudden they realize, you know, their sleep isn't really good. Their oh, coping shoot. strategies. Aren't uh, fantastic. They manage it with, you know, THC or alcohol, or they're self, they're eating, they're just, and they're, again, they're just self-soothing. This is how I'm dealing with being such a stressed animal. And then all of a sudden, we see behaviors that are going to come to roost. Where all of a sudden, we do see some some wob- speed wobbles in the system. Blood panel starts to go off. Maybe we have a health crisis. We can't tolerate or something, you know, we have a rupture of an injury or some tissue that, you know, should have been loaded and should have been nurtured for the last decade. So one of the problems I think simultaneously is that we have this immense capacity to buffer silly behaviors and and the things that are awesome. I love cookies. You know, I'd like to go back and eat more cookies. That would be something i do. But simultaneously, we're running this experiment for decades. And one of the things that I think Juliet and I now appreciate as we're 50 is that we're playing a very different game of how can we remain durable and keep our capacity high for as long as possible versus we're going to engage in these short-term behaviors and unfortunate and and you know find out that suddenly we had to take a lot of things off off the table and unfortunately these behaviors are not the behaviors that look like as juliet just said being super heroic it's about well you know did you eat enough protein today did you drink water are you sleeping tell us how many steps you had do you have enough hip range of motion who's keeping an eye on all of that do you get sunlight onto your body did did anyone hug you today i mean all of those things and it's not for a six week or three week booty busting juice cleanse that is not enough time doesn't even register on the timeline we're talking about six months and six years and sixty years of these behaviors. I just don't think people appreciate how long you need to be consistent, like rock star consistent. Talk to us in a decade. Here's an example: a lot of young kids who are my daughter's a senior. And there's a bunch of boys who are like, "How do I get strong?" You know, suddenly they're self aware. I'm like, "Well, if you just lift something, you know, really heavy." Once a week or twice a week, three times a week for 10 years. Let me know how that goes for you. Like, you know, just squat heavy once a week for 10 years and you'll be really strong in 10 years. We can't even wrap our heads around that time scale. And I think that simultaneously allows us to take big risks and simultaneously is our
0: greatest, you know, potential liability. I love that long term mindset that you bring up there, Kelly. Now, how did that apply in the business sense for the two of you when you shifted from, say, Mobility wad to the Ready State? Was that kind of like a planned thing? Did you have that steps laid out? Or when you oh. launched, say, the Supple Leopard, did you expect, hey, this is going to take off and become a bestseller, and all of a sudden, everything, all the chips are going to fall into place for us? Did that like get planned out ahead Overnight's of time? Overnight Overnight
1: success. Or... <laughs> I'll go ahead and take that one. I'll start with something leopard and I might even go back as far as San Francisco CrossFit. And I don't mean this in like an aw kind of way because, um, you know, Kelly and I have a lot of smarts and sophistication, I think. However, we are kind of accidental entrepreneurs. Um, we started San Francisco CrossFit, not at all because we were trying to run a business on which we would make money or make a living, um, we started it because there we fell in love with CrossFit. We thought it was a cool way of training. We wanted somewhere to train like that with our friends. Um, some people found us and started coming, and like lo and behold, we we sort of realized a little ways in, like, oh, this is actually a business. Okay, let's actually start running it like a business. Um, and you know. Same thing with Supple Leopard. I mean, here's what I'll say about that book. I mean, first of all, the original title of it was Movement, Mobility, and Maintenance, and my brother was like, that's the dumbest title ever. No one's going to buy that book. You should call it Becoming a Supple Leopard, which may have been like one of the greatest pieces of advice we've ever received. Um, So, you know, we were willing to kind of, we had this idea, and we were willing to take a big risk on the title. I mean, a lot of publishers would not have greenlit that idea that would have been way too much of a risk, but our publisher was like, dude, let's do it.
2: Supple Leopard was our you know something that we talked about in our community about being supple but
1: i mean here you know here was the advice we received and the advice we still give to people (laughs) to this day is that you should basically never write a book um hoping to make money if you make money you should feel lucky (laughs) um, because it really doesn't happen that often to people i mean there's so many books out there it's really hard to be successful with a book um,
2: we signed a contract in 2010, and the book didn't come out until 2013. Yeah, it's hard
1: to know. It's hard to three know three years. Will be successful of again, Working on the other sort of key learning um, that we had, and and I've talked about it in like some talks I've given and stuff. But um, but it was like the first time we realized that we couldn't do everything by ourselves. That was a big sort of aha moment. Um, and there's this book out now that I love called Who Not How, and it's like this idea that when you are either you know, having resistance, procrastinating, or if there's, if if your first question as an entrepreneur is how to do something, you actually need to reframe that as who is going to do this because, you know, in most instances, there's someone who's going to be better at it than you. Um, And that was our first learning of that. We actually sat on our book contract for like a year and Kelly and I are like, dude, how do you write a textbook like we try to like open a google doc and like stare at a blank document like we're like what, how do we lay out begin? the pictures i don't how what camera do out, we use what camera do we use for the photos and how do you reference you know this mobilization on page 324 with the one on page 125 and like we just became completely overwhelmed to the point where we were paralyzed um and that was sort of our first like big moment of realizing like we can't do this by ourselves we need help so we brought on glenn cordoza our co-writer um and we could not have written the book without his help. You know, he is an expert in writing textbooks um, and he could completely envision how it all worked together. Um, And But we had no idea. I mean, we dropped that book um, and we expected to make tens of dollars on it and that we would sell like 200 copies. I mean, that was really the expectation we went into it.
2: And like the gym and like the actual website, we set out to solve a problem first. You know, we, we knew that we were on to something in our way, our systems approach and the zeitgeist at the time of people really taking on their own health and being able to own that. And this really was, no one can write a book like this again. Like we were saying, here is an integrated, unified field theory approach to technique and movements and restoration of position. And all the way, it's so subversive because we think you can do it yourself. It, it was, you know, 400 plus, 450 pages. I mean, it was just ridiculous. We didn't go on vacation. We wrote this book, so you know. But we knew that if we could get this out, we could improve the ball. And we we've come to believe in this thing. And this sounds cutesy, and I don't mean to. No one thing changes everything. So if you think this blog post or this social media post, this thing is going to change my life, you're one hundred percent mistaken. Especially in today's world of so much information overload. We just went over four thousand posts on Instagram. So if you're like, "Oh, I'm so fatigued. What am I going to talk about?" Wow, the Ready State has four thousand posts on Instagram. Look at how many videos we put up on YouTube. It's insane. We have been at this since 2010, posting, writing, telling, serving. You know. So now I want to reshift this for everyone and to say that everything changes the one thing. So, you know, we have a blog, we have a podcast, we have a newsletter, we have, you know, we put daily content out. Like there's an ecosystem that we've created because everything is important. And yes, that means an extra of magnitude to kind of get it done.
1: And uh, of I, sophistication. I, I would just like to take on the second part of your question, which is the transition of the ready state. And I can't tell that story without going back to the creation of the main mobility wad, which at the time, um kelly was like the most clever person on earth because mm-hmm. what is obviously a crossfit term workout of the day for people who don't know so we were familiar with doing the wad at our crossfit gym and, and kelly's like hey so wow i'm so clever i'm gonna take this word mobility that i've already popularized and I'm no one was using walk. the word mobility
2: it, it didn't exist walk. in the I'm vernacular like, no one was worked on mobility yeah it like was it's just, funny
1: everybody's now like i'm gonna go mobilize and i'm like wow do you know that like you say that because of kelly star like i cool <laughs> so anyway the um mobility wad, we were like high-fiving each other and we're like, we're so clever. We're the we're first
2: WAD anything. Whatever.
1: And then um, you know, after we monetized our site and turned the Ready State into a real life business, which we didn't start off to do also, by the way, um, or mobility wad at the time, you know, we just um, what we realized is that we what we did at Mobility Wad was a lot bigger than mobility videos. Um, and that that name was really kind of limiting us. We needed something that was a bigger umbrella because, you know, already by twenty fourteen we had our subscription model. We were teaching courses to professionals and athletes all over the world. Um, you know, we were selling some like products, and we had other kind of peripheral courses and stuff. But we were doing a lot of different things. And, and then also underneath that, you know, Kelly was speaking and consulting with professional teams. Um, You know, we just had a lot going on under this umbrella and mobility kind of felt like it was a limiter in terms of a name, especially for new people coming into our orbit. Um, I think the second thing is that um, while we are lovers of CrossFit and still are to this day, um, we also knew that our content and methodology was really should be accessible to everybody who is trying to use their body to do something and who has a body. And so we didn't want it to be a turnoff to people who come and say, oh, wow, like they have their preconceived notions about it being a CrossFit website or that they don't even know what it means, right? Like what is, like we would have so many people who say like, what does mobility work? So I think there was some confusion around it. And then the third thing um, was that, you know, when we started as the first ever blank wad company and by the time we switched to the race, I think there were like 500 companies that were blank wad. you know, every sport wad. Sobriety wad with a daily, you know, like affirmation about sobriety wad, you know, Bible wad, daily Bible, biblical music, I mean, you name it, like you could almost just name a thing and it would be blank wad. So we just felt like there was just too much confusion in the market. Um, too many wads. It wasn't exciting again, because our goal has been accessibility and, um, relatability that we felt like that name was no longer, it didn't really suit what we were doing and we really needed a company name that was a much bigger umbrella that could sort of be the holding, the sort of holding site for everything that we do do. Um, and by that point, we had started our podcast and already called it the Ready State. So the Ready State was a sort of familiar title to some of our audience already. Um, but I will say it took us two years to execute the. Um, we did we press play on the rebate, rebrand in September 2019, but it was almost two years in the making. Um, It actually is a funny story because Kelly's like, let's do this. Let's rebrand. Okay, go. And I was like, I don't think you realize, Kelly, like the 5,001 little things one has to do to rebrand. I mean, you know, it's all the way from like changing your name of your corporation to letting all these agencies know that you've changed to obviously all the front facing stuff like your website and your branding. And, you know, so it's just a lot. So it took us a couple of years and we also use that as an opportunity to sort of re-envision our product. Up until that point, we were offering kind of daily content and we really sort of repackaged it into what it is now, which is a product called Virtual Mobility Coach. And we have a really cool app with a mobility test. Um, So the rebrand kind of gave us an opportunity to say, okay, hey, like we've been in the world for a little while. We need to re-envision, you know, like what kind of content people really need, what they've been asking for. and We repackaged it into, you know, and now ever evolving product where people can come and do follow along videos or fix their pain or warm up for their sport um so we tried to create like a really comprehensive place where people can take care of their bodies and learn how to take care of their bodies learn how to move um so that's that was kind of the mobility wand to ready state journey
0: right and as you said it's ever Uh, evolving and it seems like it's the kind of thing (laughs) that the two of you have taken the things that have happened to you along the way, and found ways to make those obstacles opportunities. So I remember, I think it was a year ago or so, I think Kelly underwent that total knee replacement two years ago. No, no, it was two years ago. Yeah. And now you have a protocol online for total knee replacement rehab, because if I know anything about you, you're not the type to sit there on the table and do, you know, three by 10 quad set three by 10 short arc and then sit on some heat and stem and maybe a little ice in there too you know
2: I, what i'll say is that Juliette and i eat our own cooking and, and you know what we look at is you know our the systems approach we take to looking at how a human being exists in the world that's really what it is um you know all we did is apply the algorithm to a new problem and this was a novel problem there's nothing about the protocol or my experience that very differently very much by how I had been coaching and helping people manage this surgery except going through it myself I found the bars to be even lower and exceptionally low and I ended up seeing all the opportunities of wow you know it doesn't matter how rock star your physio is or your rehab team you're not seeing them seven days a week you're seeing them twice a week yourself, if you're lucky or you're, like seeing your wife, or you're
1: seeing
2: yourself so care of you or I, once again, I'm like, wow, I think our outcomes are predicated on a flawed system and an arid system and I think that we can again just ply our, our thinking. And so you know at this point now what's really fun about the things that Jill and I get to do is you know in June we were asked to come you know speak at a big conference again in Munich to all that's one of the big training summits but on the way over there, We got a chance to drop in with the England national soccer team because that's a team we work with and we support their coaches and players. And, and what's happened now is that we get a, just like our business or our family or our things that we're interested in, it's a sort of a degree of order of magnitude, more interesting and complex. We're presented with more complex problems and complex issues. How do we help an organization stay healthy? How do we help this company stay healthy how will we help the army stay healthy how do we how do we scale these things and that really i think is where we are right now is saying hey we really feel like we've got something that is as good as anything else out there in terms of giving people the tools to self care and to self soothe but having that be scalable and you know replicable and cut through the noise so that we can say hey we have the greatest thing that's really inexpensive i mean our subscription model is pretty amazing that for 15 bucks a month, we can show you pretty much how to manage complex pain problems, breathing, range of motion issues. You know, you want to, you know, decrease your muscle soreness and session costs from the training. You want to, you know, like manage surgery pain. That's 15 bucks a month. And what we've done is try to get to a place where we can say, hey, look, we think this is stuff that everyone needs to know at an affordable level. And then if we can get enough people involved in it, we see that we can actually change the organization of how people are consuming so that they're better patients, they're better useful, better of utility to their, their physicians, their physical therapists, and their families.
1: I think I would add too on the whole um, sur- the surgery, Kelly's surgery protocol, is I think the other mission we have too is to kind of demystify. You know, we both had a bunch of surgeries, unfortunately, and one of the things people have said to us is, oh, well, we're not like you guys. You guys heal really fast. Like you guys are superheroes, and we always think that's so funny because we're like, actually, no, we're not. And in fact, you're, you know, everyone's healing time is the same. Like the human body, like no one heals faster than, you know, it's like no one heals faster. Yeah, you
2: either heal at the rate of human being or slower.
1: Or slower, right? Like, right. So you're, and so we always think that's kind of funny. And you know, the only difference is that Kelly and I have access to knowledge and tools, and so in some ways that does help us make sure that we're healing at the normal rate versus at a too slow rate. I mean we we are able to stay ahead of that curve. Um, But what we want to do is just really demystify this. Like I can't emphasize enough. Like, you know, people go through so many surgeries and they, you know, maybe luck out to get to see their physical therapist once a week. Well what are they doing for the other seven days of the week? And you know, what who's giving them advice about what to do? And it turns out no one. And so we wanted to say, hey, look, like we have a lot of tools and knowledge about how you can make what is generally an unpleasant experience, which is having surgery of any kind. And you can try to make the recovery as smooth and steady as possible, and you can get back to doing what you love. Um, And that's really the goal is just like, hey, this, this worked for us. Like we have access to these tools, you have access to these same tools and knowledge, like this worked for us, we're users, you should try it.
2: We have this idea that's been central to what we believe in, which is test, retest and share. So one of the things that's, you know, one of the reasons we started our podcast, for example, is so we could get rich, compete against <laughs> all the other podcasts. Uh, was just you that know we- about that, right? You're like- oh, we, uh, 100%. Tens of dollars. Um, but what we wanted to do is show people our incredible community of the people that we got to interact with and resource with. And what that meant was. You know, one of the things that we're fortunate now because we've been doing this long enough is we have this incredible network of people that we reach out to who are, are, you know, in our cohort and we want to share that. And so, you know, part of, I think the, the goal of high performance sports is to transform communities, transform society. And we have felt the same thing is that if we're really going to consummate this practice, then we should be able to keep distilling down and say, what is pattern recognition? How do we come to the essential piece and then transmit that to people who, can, who can't avail themselves because they're experts in other parts of their life or they don't have the resources for it. But what we know is that everyone has a phone and we can get you faster to the, to the moment where you may be able to do things for yourself that you didn't even think was possible and with very few resources.
0: As we start to wrap up here, I'm curious for the two of you What's been your kind of own definition of success along this line? And, you know, do you have any advice for other people who are trying to define their own definition of success or become successful in a way?
2: Well, I'll say success is having all the hair and clearly (laughs) I'm not very successful. Um, It's crucial to understand that your definitions of what success looks like will change as you mature. The most important thing for me is my family. That is it, the relationship with this one, the relationship with my girls. And we actually run everything through a filter in our, in our business because I'm working with my wife every day. It's pretty remarkable. And people, people do say things like, I don't know how you do that. How do you work with your partner? I can never do that. And I'm like, well, you do work with your partner. You, you shop yeah, together, you together. pay bills. Yeah. Like You're already engaged in a full business that's way gnarlier than an actual business. We just expanded that scope. But we run everything through this filter, which is does this get our family more time together or less time together? And that certainly has meant for me, you know, I've been able to put some of my boyhood ego aside. (laughs) And I've kind of grown out of that. I need to be the best or I need this accolade. Or, you know, Juliet did not come with the same ego trappings that I did for sure. She, She was driven by a different set of demons. You know, I needed to prove to my missing father that I was worthy, you know, and that created its own, you know, beast. But what I'll tell you now is, you know, definition of success is that Juliet and I can continue to do this and work with amazing people and have an incredible life and spend more time together. That's it. And if anything else happens around that, it's a side effect of that primary mission.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, um, you know, almost mirror that exactly. I mean, Kelly and I are not the kind of entrepreneurs that have set out to like get rich um, you know, we've wrong business. We've completely <laughs> bootstrapped our own companies. Um, we don't have investors, advisors. We're not on the venture capital runway. Um, and you know, we, we really did like I'm not exaggerating. When I say we we set out as sort of accidental entrepreneurs in all our cases to solve problems or actually try to help people. Um, and so you know, as long as we're clear with those, that mission and those values you know, and that we are financially stable enough that we can pay our mortgage and like maybe one day retire. I mean, I'm not saying money's not a factor. You know, we do we do need to like make money, but man, we're not trying to have some crazy exit and, you know, grow our business exponentially to, to get to an exit. Like we really actually like what we do.
2: I drive a and, nine-year-old truck.
1: And we like who we work with. I mean, we've had the we staff of people around us that we really enjoy working with. Um, and, you know, so we've tried to kind of create this life that we enjoy living on a day-to-day basis like we we want to enjoy each and every day you don't want to have some goal out there like and many entrepreneurs have this exit as their goal and like, that's their definition of su- success and if they don't reach that man like to me it's like if you don't like actually running then like don't go run a marathon because you're not going to enjoy the process so we really enjoy trying to solve all the day-to-day big and small problems that arise when you're a small business entrepreneur they many of them we do a good job solving some and a bad job solving others um, but we just we're always trying to kind of keep the ball moving forward and you know we just really do enjoy the process and I think that that's that for us that's enough you know and and like one day we'd like to retire but right now we love doing what we're doing so you know for us that's the definition of success
2: and we're not beginners anymore thank god <laughs> we were finally like intermediates. You know, what I mean, we're like, like,
1: still intermediate beginners. We're,
2: we're, we're advanced beginners where we now have a seat at the table and some, some chops. Like, now it's actually time to work. I suspect that a lot of people get to this point, if they're lucky, and then they're burned out or they've self sabotaged. I mean, this, we can't. You know, one of our at-home mantras is the glacial pace is the breakneck pace. I sound like I have a bunch of quotes, but <laughs> it's, a, it's hard to build a life from scratch. You know, when we moved to the city, we were broke. You know, Juliet, I remember uh, being hit up by, uh, you know, a homeless person at the bus stop and Juliet's like, hey, I'd like to help you, but all the money I have right now, I borrowed from the government. Like, I'm broke. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I had to borrow money rent from my my uncle to pay this crazy San Francisco bubble rent. You know, the first when the first months I moved to the city, so it wasn't that long ago in two thousand where our lives looked very different, and yet they looked exactly the same. I recognized a bright, 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 talented, fun partner who I was down to have this life adventure with, and it just you know we kept taking the next best option and setting ourselves up to have as many choices of freedom as we could, you know, and that, that meant like not having a lot of student, uh, not having credit card debt, and you know, you're doing things that we like to do that didn't cost a lot of money. And I just think that people, the internet really has bent people in that you should be an overnight success and you get, you know, everyone is just rich and you have rooms full of money and it's just another tool to do the thing you're doing. And I think it really does is confused people about trying to change their local communities because they think they have to work in a national or global scale. And they, what you know, we're just like, hey, keep changing the people around you and your community around
0: you. Right, right. Start small and then grow and scale from there. Now, maybe not. In, Start small, stay small, have yeah, a rad life. Thousand percent, man. And as you mentioned there, you kind of met Juliet and you decided, you know what, we're going to go on this crazy life adventure together. How did the two of you meet? Was that when you were both doing the whitewater rafting together or did CrossFit bring you together or how, how did the two of you run into each other? So I was a professional
2: canoeist. I paddled slalom on the national team and we were. I was a raft guide and kayak instructor and based out of Colorado and our team won, we put together this whitewater expedition, whitewater rafting team from all our national team friends and we won the national championship and were sent to chile so there was a men's team and then there was a women's team and this is the world championship for whitewater paddling it happens on big class five rivers there are like 30 countries that sell men's and women's teams it's bananas and the rest of the world this is a really crazy sport well guess who was already a two-time world champion and already (laughs) on the women's team so i show up in chile and there is a her raft team, her whitewater team, is legends. They're Hall of Fame, they're stunt doubles, they're expedition leaders. And then there's this young gun that they've hired to be on the team, Juliet. And we were standing there in Chile, and immediately I started chatting her up. And uh, she was very cute. She paddled very well. She had gigantic lats. She was a very effective paddler. Um <laughs> And I remember chatting her up and being like, so what's your plan? And She was like, well, I'm going to, I just applied to law school. And I remember being like, wow, you can go to law school and you can paddle like this on this class five. And a little bit like the Olympics, this it's a week long competition through multiple events and serotonin is high and death is real. And I mean, if you really want to find out who your partner is, take them to the world championships and watch them compete on something that might kill them. And you're going to find out right away who that person is, how they handle stress, how they interact. And really one of the gnarliest situations where in this austere environment in Chile, in Patagonia, competing on this big classified whitewater. And in two seconds, I was like, this is the human being. And it also helped that she, we had a terrible, terrible flip and a really scary rapid and Juliet rescued me.
1: The, The other thing I think is funny is that, you know, we like have had some level of success in our lives, whatever that is and i had some years ago i think after saw leopard came out this old friend of mine said man i mean when you met kelly like you didn't even know that he was going to be famous or whatever whatever that means and and i always think that's so funny because you know first of all that's not like how i see him, you know at all and not how we are and not how we are that's not how we like cruise around in the world is like kelly's famous so that's not our, our mo but also like at the root like it doesn't really matter to me, like whether Kelly wrote up a leopard or whatever. Like, I think you know, part of the reason that it's just lasted so long is like we knew each other in the before times and we really just like hanging out together. Like that's just a clear fundamental as we just enjoy spending time together and like to grow out and do the same stuff. Um, and you know, but but I mean we also recognize like we're just lucky, like we just the chances of us meeting up and having it turned into this cool partnership we've had are so slim.
2: So. I don't know, it turns out it's a hundred percent. I'm one for one. <laughs> Step one, be good enough to go to the world championships for the national team. Step two, you have to do the I same mean, thing. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, um, and really I, you know, I think, you know, if I say, you know, the, the goal is to spend time with Juliet, what I mean is I want to ride my bike with Juliet. I want to paddle, we just did a six day, still support river trip on the green river in utah like juliet is my number one training partner she's the person i've been skiing the most with she's the person i like to backpack with like it's all for us about how do we spend more time together and that means we do we like the same things and do the same thing so it helps that uh you know juliet will track her macros. she's into that and uh also likes to deadlift that's super hot <laughs> but also like it is so fun to go have these adventures and our i think our relationship was born on on this international adventure travel, and uh, you know, we really knew a lot about each other right away, and sort of passed a lot of you know tests for each other right away because you know she could see me how how am I managing this stress? Am I you know it's it just fantastic, and you know one of the things that I think gets lost in this conversation of entrepreneurship is that Julia and I were both river guides for a long time, where we were comfortable taking risk. We were comfortable managing big groups of people and their safety and shepherding them through. And we were in charge. We had a lot of responsibility at age 19 to not like kill a group full of adults, take them down a big river. So, you know, magnify that, practice that, you know, then race, challenge, do all of that. And man, it set us up to run a business together and be able to negotiate all of the ups and downs that that
0: entails. I love that. I love that. Taking those past experiences together and using them to build successful business and successful life together. The two of you are clearly crushing it. For people who want to find out more about the two of you and stay up to date with everything you're doing with The Ready State, where can they find you? Well,
1: we are uh, on the internet at thereadystate.com. Um, the social, also most of the socials at The Ready State, we're on TikTok at the underscore Ready State. Um, yes, we're on TikTok. That's <laughs> side conversation. We're too old for TikTok, but we're on there. Um, and, you know, if you want to get a little bit of a glimpse into kind of the behind the scenes of our life, you should follow me at Juliet Starrett. Um, I kind of do a mix of posting just sort of stuff we're doing, workouts we're doing, what our kids are up to, like a little bit more of sort of a, you know, open the garage door of the Starrett house, and that's my Instagram. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome stuff. Kelly, Juliet, thank you again for your insight for everyone and discussing your experiences. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Broad Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.